Last week we talked about envy and a reminder that we're going through the uh, seven deadly sins over the next couple of weeks. And last week we talked about envy. The week before we talked about pride. These are sins that are categorical summarizations of ways that we rebel against God. They are sins that the church has long established as sins that are particularly um, particularly good at drawing us away from fellowship with God and from loving one another and our neighbors as ourselves. So we're taking a look at them, not so that we can dwell on them, but so that we can turn towards God to seek the cure for them in our lives. We can look at the disease within us of these sins and turn towards the great physician for a cure. And today we're talking about sloth. Uh, it's not a word we use very often anymore, hey? Sloth and slothfulness. It is, uh, it, it's not translated that way in most uh, contemporary English translations anymore. And when we do think of it, uh, if, if, I, if I just said the word sloth, you'd probably imagine uh, the animal, the cute, terrifying animal, <laughs> the sloth, who just sort of, excuse me, slowly moves around and is just, is just hanging out. And that's what we imagine if we said, you're slothful. That's, we, we, I think many of us would make the comparison in our mind of that person with that animal and just sort of tag the two together in our minds. And then we'd say, well, sloth is laziness. Sloth is laziness. But, but, but biblically speaking, and just in terms of how the church has often thought about slothfulness, that is not true. Sloth is something different than laziness. It's something more profound. Slothfulness, so, so laziness is just saying, I don't really want to work. Sloth is something different. Sloth is indifference. It's indifference. The actual word sloth comes from Latin, from a word that means without care. Being slothful means that you are going through life without a care in the world, and particularly that you do not care about the things of God. Slothfulness says that I'm indifferent to what God has for me. I'm indifferent to what God commands of me. I'm indifferent to God. And that permeates slowly but surely every area of our life and can express itself as laziness or it can express itself in in a number of ways but at the base of it sloth is indifference it's allowing our time our energy even our emotions to be spent on petty and trivial things rather than on meaningful things slothfulness will lead us to to be indifferent to what God has for us, but to be really passionate about really stupid things. This is the this is what social media trains us to do, in fact. So social media trains us to think that we're being really active when all we're doing are being keyboard warriors typing on a typing on a keyboard and putting our opinions out there. Sloth allows for our energy, our emotions to be poured into those things that actually make no difference in the world. 
And by doing that, we actually become indifferent to what God wants to do in our lives, in our hearts. How God wants to utilize us as his hands and feet in the world. This is really where sloth gains its power. It, 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 it causes us to mistake the trivial things in life for the meaningful things in life. And it distorts our perception to see the good gifts that God gives us and God's design for the world as boring, which leads us towards a life that truly is boring, that, that, that is unable to see the miraculous around us, that is unable, like this Psalm 100 that we read earlier, uh, slothfulness stops us from being able to be thankful. It stops us from being able to experience joy because we just end up becoming indifferent to everything other than ourselves. But scripture also teaches that sloth will lead to worse places as well, not just to thinking that life is boring. The Proverbs talk about slothfulness constantly. So in, I'm just going to list off four of, uh, of, of, of them, but if you want to read through Proverbs, you're going to find 20 or 30 different passages that describe sloth. Proverbs 15, verse 19, the way of the sluggard is blocked with thorns, but the path of the upright is a highway. That, that if you actually want to engage in slothfulness, it's going to be like walking through a rose bush just, and just getting prickled and, and, and cut and beaten. And uh, I'm not sure if you've ever tried to walk through a rose bush. It's really difficult. If they're, if they're tall and thick, you're not getting through that easily. But the path of the upright is a highway. It's, 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 it's easy and it's quick. Proverbs 19.15, laziness brings on deep sleep. And the shiftless go hungry. Laziness brings on a deep sleep, slothfulness. In scripture, it tends to be tied to, to sleeping when we ought to be doing work. At those times when we should be diligently working at, on, on, on those things that God has given us to do, Sloth says, it can wait, just take another nap. Just take another nap. Just take another one. And so tied to that, Proverbs 12, verse 24, diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. In other words, if you're diligent and working actively as God wants you to, what's going to happen? You're going to get through your work and you're going to rule your life, so to speak, in, the, in these areas of work. But if you're lazy, if you're slothful, that work is going to end up ruling your life. It's going to force you to work on it. In Proverbs 10, verse 5, he who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during the harvest is a disgraceful son. Slothfulness is disgraceful. It disgraces God. It disgraces us as well. But in all those descriptions, we might read those and then think, well, why is this a deadly sin? Like we can understand why anger might be a deadly sin or pride or greed or envy. We can see very clearly how those lead to death. But sloth, how does that lead to death? We might not like laziness or apathy, but deadly? All we find is as we are slothful, as slothfulness increases in our lives, and if you look through scripture and, and, and look 
particularly for slothful, slothfulness, you'll see that sloth steals passion, it completely destroys our capacities, it kills our vision, and it leads us to inactivity and us uttering what might be the world's worst phrase, I don't care. And we know that all of these things lead to death because sin leads to death. This is what makes it a deadly sin. Slothfulness breaks down our relationship with God. It actually stops us from loving God and loving our neighbor because it makes us indifferent to God and indifferent to our neighbor. And because sin leads to death, so does slothfulness. Because indifference to God leads to condemnation. It leads, it's that, that's, the, that's the road to hell. And we know that this sin will lead there. Like envy, like pride, sloth stops us from loving God and loving neighbor because it is indifferent to God. And I want to make, I, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent because I think sometimes we don't recognize this, that we don't recognize the power of indifference to God because, um, because we misunderstand Jesus in a, in a pretty fundamental way. Jesus is asked in, in, in the context of his in ministry what the greatest commandment was. And this is um, teachers of the law and, and people who were trying to entrap him sometimes or trying to show how righteous they were. They would ask him, you know, what's the greatest commandment? Out of all the 616 laws in Torah, in the first five books of the Old Testament, which one's the most important? And Jesus always gives the same answer. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And oftentimes we'll focus on that second one, love your neighbor as yourself, and make that out to be the most important commandment of the two. And that Christianity, we make up Christianity just to be about loving our neighbors. But that's not actually found in what Jesus says. Love our neighbor, I don't want to be misunderstood, loving our neighbors is a crucial part of our faith that cannot be ignored. But it is not the most crucial part. And it's certainly not a starting point. And if we place it as the most important, I guarantee you it's going to move us towards sin. It's, it'll actually move us towards slothfulness because it crushes us with the weight of having to love our neighbors without the most important commandment, actually giving it its energy to be able to do that loving well. So what's the most important commandment? Jesus says, in the con when he when he when he answers this question, he says in Mark chapter twelve, the most important one is this love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he says the exact same thing in Matthew chapter twenty two. The first and greatest commandment is this. The first and greatest commandment, the most important command is this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then both times he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. What he's trying to say, I think, is that those two are 
profoundly connected. Those, those two commands, you, can, you can't love God and not love your neighbor, essentially. If you say you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, it's going to draw you towards loving your neighbor. But you can love your neighbor and not love God. And so the, the two have to be connected to one another. And our, our love for God is actually the engine that, that drives our love for neighbor. Because our love for neighbor has a, has a particular um, look in the world. It doesn't look like the rest of the world's love for each other. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, just to reflect on this one command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Dante, Dante Allegri, he, he wrote a book, actually a poem, <laughs> three poems, in fact, that were all about, uh, uh, well, the, the one is Inferno, and it's about, the, uh, it's about this descent into hell and through the seven deadly sins and really interesting uh, really interesting poem if you ever want to read it. But Dante says that sloth is the failure to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Sloth is our failure to love God. At, the, at, the, at its most fundamental, sloth isn't just indifference. It really is indifference towards God and our failure to love him as he must be loved. With our hearts, first off, that we have no desire to know or follow God. That's, that's what slothfulness looks like in our hearts. It's a, it's a matter of desire. We have no desire to know or follow God. Slothfulness in our minds look like, looks like la intellectual laziness, I think. That is, we don't care to know God as he has revealed himself which is described in our theologies, that we don't care about theology. We don't care about the study of who God is. And I'm just going to, just as a, as a bit of an excursus, a really quick one, nine times out of 10, I think many of us can think, well, I would study theology, but I just don't, I just wouldn't understand it. And, and nine times out of 10, you know what? That's just self-talk that is defeating because I guarantee you that if you put your mind to it, you would be able to understand it. There are all sorts of different theology books out there that are written for people who don't have those higher degrees in theology that can help you understand things like the Trinity, understand things like sanctification or salvation and, and um, the, the end times, like all these different things that we look at and say, oh, it's so complex. Well, Part of loving God with our mind is actually thinking through some of these things. And I'm just going to give you an encouragement. I know, our, I know you. You're smarter than you think. Yeah, you. You're smarter than you think. And I think that if you dedicated yourselves to studying a topic or just picking up a book and, 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 and reading it over the next little bit, you'd be able to understand it. I know, I know you can. I know you can do it. Slothfulness of our soul is really slothfulness in our life and letting our love grow cold. Letting our love grow cold. And that's a love for God growing cold, but that's also that will also lead to the chilling of our love for our neighbor. And it manifests in a particular way that as our love for God grows cold, 
the first thing we'll notice is our love for God's church growing cold, and then our love for neighbor will grow cold as well. Consistently, that is what you'll see, because the church is the bride of Christ. And slothfulness for our strength is our, is our bodies. Is the slothfulness, sloth, sloth, slothfulness in our strength is, is really being uninterested in serving other people, really. And so by putting this one command first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, it reminds us that loving our neighbors actually has some boundaries to it that are defined by God and who God is and what God has said and revealed about God's self. It means that we're not just talking about love in this sort of gushy, mushy, feel-good sense. That when we talk about loving our neighbors, we're talking about the same type of love that Jesus has shown us. And the kind of love that Jesus has shown us is self-sacrificial. He sacrificed himself on the cross, but it's also a little bit harsh. He calls us away from our sin. He calls us to repentance and to turn towards God. That's an act of love on his part. Loving our neighbor really is about helping them to flourish in their lives as God intends for them to flourish according to his design and according to his purposes. And that doesn't really always fly in a culture that is radically individualistic. And really it only flies if that, if that culture feels like what we're saying aligns with our personal sense of self, which of course we, we know that is that, that our personal sense of self is often distorted by sins. We don't even know ourselves as we truly are because of our sin. And so something like confronting sin can be, can seem really mean culturally. Our culture looks at it and says, well, you can't judge other people. How dare you? But scripture, biblically, it says, no, that's actually a loving thing to do. Because it will lead to your flourishing as citizens of God's kingdom and as disciples of Jesus. But note, scripture often talks about this type of thing, like judgment um, of others, actually within the context of the church, not outside of the church. So actually within the church, we're called to be the kind of people who who call each other out on our sin in a gracious way, going one-on-one to each other and saying, hey, I see this in your life. And the Lord has something better for you. There is a better way to live. Can we talk about it? Rather than just pointing fingers at people outside of the church, that's not, that's actually something that we're never called to do, I think. We forget how often Jesus, when he gives commands, is talking just to his disciples, just to his followers, and not talking to everyone in the entire world. Even in passages that we're going to take a look at, like Romans 12, Paul often has this phrase that he'll use, love one another. And he doesn't mean love everyone in the entire world and love every single person that you come in contact with. No, he's actually saying, no, within the church, like y'all you, you, need to love one another. You need to learn how to love each other really, really well, because then you're able to love other people outside of the church. You can live peaceably with them. You can seek their flourishing. It starts within the church, and then it, it grows out from there. Loving our neighbor is 
really all about helping them to flourish in their lives. But that flourishing can only happen when they're invited to know Jesus and to follow Jesus and to hear his voice and heed his commands and live according to his design and his purposes. But we need to be careful to first be living according to his design and his purposes in our, in our own lives. You know, we all know a wonderful, generous, loving, caring non-believers. But I think our concern as Christians is greater than whether we're being loving by cultural standards. Our standard is Jesus. And are we living according to God's design and according to Jesus' teachings and according for our Lord's will for us? And the thing is, living to that standard that Christ sets for us will always lead us towards sacrificially serving our neighbors, which is truly what living, what, what loving them is biblically. That's the, that's the baseline of seeking their flourishing is, is to be able to serve them sacrificially. And then through that, be able to share with them the gospel of grace, not to be judgmental jerks to them and think that that will help us to, to, to get in, to, 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 to win, to win the, uh, to win them over for Jesus. Like, no, being, being a jerk will not do that. You know what will? Sacrificially serving them and then inviting them to follow Jesus. And then they get to make the choice. It's not, that's actually not up to us, which is, which is nice. It's up to Jesus to work in their hearts. So how can we know God's design and will. How can we know God's design for, for, for our lives, for his will for our lives? It's by studying scripture and by spending time with Jesus and by spending time in Christian community. And this really is the foundation of the protection that God gives us against slothfulness. This will protect us, be, oh, each of these things will protect us against slothfulness. Studying scripture will give us a vision for our lives, while spending time with Christ and community keeps us accountable to that vision. And so when we, when we become slothful, some of the, sometimes all we need is just a vision for how we are supposed to live in the world. And we get that vision from scripture, probably one of the most famous and worst understood text in all of scripture is Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. And it's usually just described as this. When there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. That's the first half of the verse. But it goes on to describe what it's talking about. And most translations now don't actually use this phrasing. But where, when, where there is no vision... The people are unrestrained, but happy is the one who keeps the law. In other words, it is by studying scripture that we receive vision and that keeps us in check in our lives. Or to put it the way that the NIV puts it, that previous translation was the New American Standard. The NIV, where there is no revelation, people cast off restraint, but blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. 
if we want to protect against sloth, the first step is studying scripture so that our minds can be filled with the vision that scripture has for the good life that God has prepared for us and that God calls us into by his grace. But the second part of that is also spending time with Jesus and in community, which keeps us accountable to that vision. So when we begin to struggle, we can go to Jesus and confess the struggle and receive grace. And we can go to community and receive grace through community and encouragement to continue running the race of faith. And that helps us not to fall into the trap of indifference, which for the, for the mission of Christ is important because the mission that Jesus has given us to make disciples of all nations demands that we not be slothful or indifferent. It's not something we can, we, we have the option of being indifferent to. And so how can we keep this deadly sin at bay? We can study scripture. We can be connected to Christ and community, but there are some things just in our own minds that we can do to shift our shift ourselves towards practicing those practices of studying scripture and staying connected to Christ and community. How do we, maybe to put the question another way, how do we run from this sin? How do we turn away from it and turn towards God? The first is recognizing who we are. It's just realizing who we are. And Ephesians 2 verse 10 says this, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in, a, in, in advance for us to do. Let's particularize that. You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. You are God's handiwork. That by faith in Christ, God is working by the power of his spirit to mold you into the kind of person he has, he created you to be and has set before you works of service, good works to do. And those could be, you know, sometimes we think of good works as just being these things that we do throughout that, that sort of pop up as special throughout a day. But actually, I think our good works also include our work, the work that God has uh, called you into, whether that's teaching or taxation, whether that's working in a factory, washing windows, housekeeping, being a mom or a dad at home. You have been called into work to work in a particular job. And what this passage, I think, tells us that you're, you're God's handiwork and you're called to do that work. So do it diligently as though you're doing it for God. And I know some, uh, some of you are retired. I'm just going to tell you, I think there's no such thing as retirement. I, I really don't think that retirement should be a phrase that we have in our linguistic categories. Because I think that just your work has changed. That's all. The thing that God has called you to maybe has shifted. And so instead of a work with your hands, you're called now to a work of prayer. Or even more so, a work of encouragement. You know, in a world that seems to really lack encouragement, that I think is the gift of our elder saints 
in in every church is this gift of encouragement that that you can give because you've been there and you've done that and you can tell us it's going to be all right. And so do those things unto the Lord as God's handiwork in Christ. Recognizing who we are in Jesus just totally shifts our minds to then want to uh, want to spend time with Jesus, want to, want to spend time with other Christians, want to spend time with Scripture so that we can know Scripture, so that we can apply Scripture, so that we can live the message of Scripture and its teachings, so that we can go and do the good works that God has prepared for us to do. So first, recognize who we are. But the second is stay diligent. Slothfulness, it has been said um, by, by someone whose name escapes me, and I apologize, but I've heard this uh, in a few places in my readings, that um, slothfulness starts as cobwebs but ends in chains. We don't recognize sometimes how, how slothfulness can totally bind us over time because it just starts a little bit. It maybe starts in our, in our mind and we think, well, I, I just don't have to think about this as diligently as I know that I should. And it moves to our strength. Like, well, maybe I don't have to serve as much as I, as I have been, as I know that God calls me to. Well, that grows into, well, you know, that, actually, that tends to grow actually into resentment of other people, which is, a, which is a chilling of your love for others. And that can only grow into one other place, which is your heart. And you having no desire to follow God as God calls you to follow him, which will lead you towards just not, not following. It will lead you towards your faith atrophying, your desires atrophying. And so the way to, 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 to keep those chains from taking hold is to constantly get rid of the cobwebs, is to constantly dust, it's to stay diligent. We see this in Romans 12. In Romans 12, starting in verse 9, there's a, a section that's described in the heading as love in action. But it starts out as this, and which is why it's called it, love must be sincere. It's, it's going to describe how we are to love one another in the church, as well as those outside of the church. So love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted to one another. Be devoted to one another. In good times, in bad, be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Which is the, which is the, 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 part of the cure for pride, hey? So we see, we, we see hints throughout this passage of a bunch of the different seven deadly sins Paul tackling against. But he's, he's saying right off the bat, be diligent, be devoted to one another. Never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. So how can we stay diligent how can we keep the well? How can we keep these cobwebs at bay? It's being diligent. It's it, being diligent in reading scripture, being faithful in prayer, 
This is what the text goes on to say. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. You want to keep the cobwebs away from your faith? If you want to grow in your faith, do these things. Read scripture daily. Be faithful in prayer. Seek out ways to serve the Lord. Love one another. Being committed to one another in the church. And practice hospitality, particularly to outsiders. If we did those things, we would actually constantly be growing in our faith. Slothfulness wouldn't happen because doing those things would would fully commit us to God's mission in the world and recommit us to the work that God had prepared for us and the diligence that he calls us to live in every single day. And so if you if you want to live these things, it's actually it, it's it's incumbent on you to make a decision whether that whether you'll recognize who you are in Christ and whether you'll choose to be diligent. And if you want to experience the life God has for you, those are the starting points. And we can recommit ourselves to to the work God has for us and the diligence that he calls us to every day in a bunch of different ways. We could write reminders to ourselves about who we are. We could memorize passages of scripture like this one that tells us, here's what, here's what you're called to. And it goes on to describe all sorts of things. Bless those who persecute you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn, who mourn, who mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Be willing to associate with other people. Don't be conceited. Don't repay evil for evil. Like there's all these things that we can live into on a day-to-day basis. And memorizing scripture is really filling our mind with beauty so that God can use those scriptures to speak to us throughout the rest of the days and throughout the rest of our lives, really. So we could write reminders. We could memorize scripture. But I think one of the most powerful ways is to seek out accountability is to ask others in the church to study scripture with you, to pray with you, to walk with you in life. Now, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm going to gently push you a little bit, Wentworth. I'm going to gently push you. Because I think that to grow spiritually, you have to take responsibility for that growth. You have to take responsibility for your your desire to want to read scripture daily, to want to pray, to want to be in community, to want to serve the Lord, to, to want to love one another, to want to practice hospitality, like to grow in any of those areas. You have to take the responsibility to put yourself in a position to grow in those areas. So I'm just going to gently push you to start thinking about your spiritual growth in this way, in the, in, in the way of responsibility, rather than slothfully assuming that your growth is up to somebody else or that it's just going to happen. Like if you just wait long enough, you'll be spiritually mature. That's just not the case. That's just not the case. Spiritual growth is awkward because oftentimes to be able to grow, you have to place yourself 
in awkward positions, in awkward, uh, in, in, in these positions of vulnerability, because it's from those places of vulnerability that growth can occur. So if you want to grow spiritually, that growth has to start with your commitment, with you saying, I am recommitting to the life that God has for me. I am recommitting to the, to the work that God has prepared for me to do. And I am recommitting to diligence in reading scripture, in being faithful in prayer, in, in serving the Lord, in loving one another, in practicing hospitality. And so if you want to, if you want to grow spiritually by, by having a group that walks with you, we can set up studies. We can, we can do those things. If you want to serve, we can set up service projects. There are a number that we, that, that are actually happening and that could happen in the next little bit that, that you could join if that's where you want to grow. This, this passage, it's Romans 12, never be lacking in zeal. Keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. If you want to keep your zeal, the best way to do it is to seek out ways to serve God, to serve the Lord. We even have a missional activity form on our website. If you have ideas for how you can be serving the Lord with other people, you can put those ideas in that form and we'll help you discern the idea and actually put it into place. There are all sorts of options for you to start taking responsibility for your spiritual growth, to stop being slothful. But don't expect that you are going to grow in Christ if you never take responsibility and choose for yourself to commit to the life and the work that Christ calls you to and that Christ calls us to. To love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind with all our soul, with all our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And so church, I'm just going to commit this thought to you. That we know who we are in Christ. You are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for you to do. And now the question is, will you respond to Christ's work in your life with diligence so that you can place yourself in a position to grow? And the only person who can answer that is you. Recognizing who you are in Christ is just the starting point of running from sloth. But to actually do the running, you need to do the training. You need to commit yourself to diligence. And it's only through that diligence will you see yourself grow and not just jog away from, from slothfulness, but run as fast as you can into the arms of your Savior. And that's what will protect us from sloth. Studying scripture, spending time with Christ, and spending time with Christian community. But will you choose to be diligent in pursuing those things? My prayer for you and for me, for us, is that we 
will recognize who we are this morning and make the choice to be diligent together so that we can love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and that we will be drawn to loving our neighbor as ourselves for our good, the good of our neighbors, and to the glory of Christ and his kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, if we are struggling with slothfulness today, I just pray that you would make it known in our hearts, in our minds, in, a, in the depths of our soul, the depths of our being, who we are in you, that we, were, that we are your handiwork, that we are your children, that we are your beloved. And Father, may that knowledge begin to break the chains of slothfulness in our life and allow us to be able to turn towards you and choose diligence rather than indifference. Empower us by your spirit, Father, to, uh, to, to commit to diligence in reading scripture, to commit to diligence in prayer, to commit to diligence in serving you and to loving one another and to, um, and to practicing hospitality even in this season. Father, give us the courage to take that diligence into our own hands and to run with it, to help us to have the courage to reach out to others and ask, will you walk in life with me? with me give us give us the courage to to ask others will you study scripture with me give us the courage to pray with others by phone by by in person by email by facebook give us courage the courage to love the courage to be devoted to one another and the courage to honor one another above ourselves help us to never be lacking in zeal but keep our keep our spiritual fervor up father as we seek to serve you and by your spirit would you make us joyful in hope patient in affliction and faithful in our dedication to you we pray in jesus name amen